0: P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. It's
1: another fine morning, Thursday morning on P.I.'s Declassified. And do I have a treat for you today. This is going to be a fascinating segment for PIs Declassified. But first, uh, I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, Taylor Wiles. She goes by Tay, and she uh, is an investigator, she's a private investigator, and she is also a former investigative reporter.
2: So uh, Tay, take it away. Good morning. Thanks, Francie. Um, yeah, today is going to be uh, an amazing show. Our guest is Armand King, who's based in San Diego. Armand is a gang and human sex trafficking consultant and author of the book Raised in Pimp City. Armand provides insight and direction to public officials in his role with the National Institute of Justice, uh, University of San Diego and San Diego Gang Intervention and Prevention Commission. Um, he also co-founded the nonprofit Paving Great Futures whose goal is to increase the health and wealth in underserved communities in order for marginalized and at-risk individuals to thrive socially, economically, and politically. Um, Armand, it is great to have you on the show. Good morning. Um morning. Good morning. Is a Good lot morning. To Thank you for about. having me. Yes, yes. There's so much to talk about here in terms of the work that you do and your experience. Um, would you start by telling us about um where everything started for you where you're from um what san diego was like when you were youth and how did your beginning sort of lead you on the path to um you as an expert today wow that's deep <laughs> where it
3: started yeah
2: yeah just it, where beautiful. you where I, I you got <laughs> hey, yeah we want to know where it started
3: Okay, I, I hope you don't mind. I don't, I don't know, um, you know, the levels I could talk on here, but I'm very free flowing and I don't hold anything back and I don't sugarcoat stuff and I'm real authentic. And when I claim to be an expert, it is stuff that I really am an expert at. Oftentimes you get people who claim to be experts because they watched a couple of documentaries. They may even have a a, um, a degree behind their name and they claim to be an expert based off of that. But mine is through lived experience, the loss of life and birth. So when you first ask me where I'm from, my, I went to my mama's womb. I was like, oh, well, that's where I started from, you know. <laughs> but, and then, and then just expand from there, because even though that's where my head went first, it is kind of, it, it, it's, it's true. Yeah, of course, everybody came from there first. But my, uh, further than that, my mom, she was just instilling a lot of the seeds that didn't come into fruition until now. Uh, but, you know, my first early years, I'll fast forward through this. It was a rocky Rocky life that I lived in, uh parents in turmoil, chaos, fighting every single day that was the norm. It was chaotic in my house from birth to about ten years old and um and but now doing the work that I do and working with the youth that I work with when I hear their stories who are like ten times as tragic as mine, including when you go into the foster youth that never had a parent, never had you know some that I think, dang, imagine, you know, kids, their brains are like sponges. Imagine those feelings and thoughts that come into a kid who is born and raised thinking they're not loved, rejected, and all the other things I couldn't even fathom to to think about. So my situation was bad, but it wasn't that bad um, in comparison. But at 10 so years our, old, our mom... dad finally leaves. Yes.
1: Yeah, Armand, this is fancy. Uh, so t- tell us a little bit about that. Was it... Um... Was it domestic violence? Was it alcohol and drugs? What was going on in your early years?
3: It was a it was a can I, are you allowed to cuss on here or no, not with Frank. <laughs> <'Cause, laughs> <laughs> but it was a it was a dummy dad that was that was and, and a mom, they just some young people who did not, you know, do the proper steps and then it was just chaotic with the arguing. My dad would mm-hmm. never hit my mom, but my mom she sometimes would, you know, get to that point. I think he tried to slap her one time and that was the last time he slapped her because he was dealing with a mom from the hood who was not just taking that. And she Mm -hmm. made sure he knew that. So, um, but it was just, you know, he, he couldn't, he could he he didn't think with his big head. He was always thinking with his little head. So I think when I was in the hospital being born, he uh, he was with another woman that night, you know, like, that was a reality, just chaoticness on that end. Um, But still my mom, I would go to school and then come back when I get out of school, my mom had a play school plastic table in the kitchen and she would sit me down and say it's time to relearn. And she started instilling self-belief and in different things that the, that the school was not teaching us, especially as a hmm. young black man. But she was instilling stuff in me that made me stronger. And I see today why I'm not more special than my colleagues and peers, but um, there's a difference in me and it came from my upbringing, you know. Early
1: on, that's cool. That's
3: cool. And you guys got to stop me. I'll keep talking. I don't know if yeah, guys going no. into <laughs> question. That's why I said that's deep. How much do you want to know? Where are we going? Because now in yeah. into the twelve year old. But there are phases of that upbringing that lead me to where I'm at to answer your question. You know, by ten years mm-hmm. old, we have moved. I, before that, I was living in the suburbs in low income apartments, so I had a, another different experience living around a majority uh, a white community from birth until about 10. 10 was a culture shock. My dad bought a restaurant from his friend, and we moved to the hood from the suburbs. So I moved to Spring Valley, California, and it was a culture shock and just being here. It wasn't that much longer after moving there that um, my parents lost the house. I, was, I think I was just starting junior high school years, ninth mm. grade, and my parents lost the house, and now we were homeless. My dad was all the way gone. It was me, my mom, my sister, who um, suffers from a mental disability and has to be um, cared for by my mom at all times. And um, and then my mom had taken on her sister's kids because my her sister, my aunt, was on crack cocaine really bad at the time. So my mom had myself, my disabled sister, my cousin, a girl cousin my age, and then a baby that was one years old that we ended up having to rescue from a crack house when she was born. Um, mm. So we were homeless with the four of us. You know, at the same period of time, and homeless doesn't necessarily mean you're sleeping under a bridge. Homeless doesn't right. mean you're, you're downtown in a tent. Homeless means you're couch surfing. Homeless means you don't have a home or a room to call your own. There's many people out here that are homeless, you know. So we would live at a place or mom's friend or a family member that let us stay there as long as um, until they got tired of it. So we bounced house to house through my junior high school years. At that same time, I did not realize, but my mom was becoming addicted to crystal meth herself, And when I just thought she was gone, the stress had really caused her to become addicted to a a drug. Er, er, So now I'm not knowing and understanding my my living situation. I'm at school now becoming a terrorist. This is the early, early 90s where being a gang member was the coolest thing to do. Music reflected it. Your neighborhood reflected it. If you weren't girls, love the gang member. If you weren't in a gang or something, you were like a nerd you know so you didn't want to be the nerd at the time being cool was being from somewhere so i ended up being what i call a wannabe gang member during those times cuz i wasn't really thinking right um, i started selling weed at 12 years old first time i smoked weed i mean marijuana just, i hate calling it marijuana it's racist term cannabis i've been <laughs>
0: i've
3: been sm- it is i've been smoking cannabis since i was 12 but it's been a thing in my family like from my great grandmother cannabis has always been around weed has always been around So it wasn't hard for me to jump into the game and started selling weed at 12 years old. And my girl cousin, younger cousin, gives me a quarter pound of weed after a camping trip like here. And so I I jumped in and um, now here you are, this uh, young um, homeless kid selling weed, uh, um, smoking weed, uh, being a wannabe gang member, doing anything possible to be down. And, um, and having a mom that's gone now stealing food from Jack in the box, drive through window as it's being passed out and stealing the food and bringing it back to my sister and cousins, feeling like a young, a a man. And I'm helping giving the money that I'm making from the, from the weed sales to my mom for gas money or whatever, not knowing it wasn't for shoes or clothes. I had to jump into adulthood real fast. Um, Hmm. fast forward, next phase, get out of that. By the time I hit ninth grade in high school, freshman year, um, I, I walked into a school, and I, I looked like a wannabe gang member, not knowing this school is not where gang members go to. This is like the kind of uppity school. And mm-hmm. I go there and uh, meet some of the best friends I've ever had in my life, and it quickly learned that being a pretty boy was the new end thing. It wasn't gang banging anymore. It was, you know, getting money from girls, getting money from girls for your, for your food, uh, for your clothes. It had yet—I I knew the word pimp. But I did not know what a pimp was. You know, a pimp to me was just, oh, you you date a lot of girls, girls like you, that's pimping. You know? So I did not realize what it was. Neither did my friends. We're 15 years old, going on 16. You know, by 16 years old, I had lost one of my best friends at the time, was murdered. That was the second murder I had to face with someone close, close to me as a kid through gang violence. Um, about me and my 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 friends, about eight of us, we formed a clique, a crew. It was that was the, the era in San Diego. People, young young black kids, uh, primarily were breaking away from gangs that did not know that they were doing that, and created what I counted now about a hundred different cliques or crews that were a blends of the gangs. There was blood and right. crypts in the same clique. There, there right. was different things happening at that time. Excuse
2: mm-hmm. me. Yeah, that's the same, uh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, so it was, but there was no mentorship there. There was no, i not, no, no, our 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 elders, I, they didn't, they didn't recognize what was happening within the community. They were already so detached because of that 80s, 90s gangbanging era where people were just, their kids and nephews and nieces, they were just killing each other over a color. So the detachment mm-hmm. had been made. So they didn't recognize these kids, my generation was really breaking away from that, needed that influx of funds and opportunities and resources, but it didn't come. So although, um, you know, we, we, we wanted change, we didn't know how to get it, um, and then all of a sudden, I'll say I was walking home from from, from school with my friends, smoking a blunt, probably about 16 years old, came home, and HBO had a special on called Pimps Up, Hold Down. And now I watched that special, and for the first time in my life, a light bulb went off in my head as a 16-year-old, not knowing what he was going to do with his life and thinking he had to be a man. I seen uh, what it looked like. Prosperous individuals, black men, women that were making money, had gold, talking cool and slick, girls that seemed happy, guys that seemed happy. And I was like, oh, that's something I can do. I know wow. I can do that. Who didn't believe in himself and know I could do anything, anything else. You know, before that, as a kid, when you're uh, a young kid, as a black man, you think you're only able to play sports or uh, play sports or some form of entertainment to succeed. That's what your thoughts are. That quickly becomes into gangbanging, selling drugs, or pimping, or prostitution, you know, because the options and opportunities and exposure is not there for these kids in the community. So when I um, seen that and my friends seen that, we instantly, instantly, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, but my two friends that had girlfriends, instantly the new conversation was, this is what we're going to do. And the girls agreed, and we went out. And the first girl I ever even seen, she's been my friend since 13 years old. She's, I'm in my office right now. She's in an office adjacent to me right now. She was in the game for 20 years. She was 16 when she started. White girl, blonde hair, blue eyes from an upper middle class community in San Diego. Both parents never abused, loved, and overly loved, and spoiled. Still attracted to the game at 16 years old as she came in. She's, like I said, she's been with us for three years now. At Paving Great Futures, but she has been in for twenty years. Anyway, uh, so we went down that road of mm-hmm. pimping and prostitution. It was the coolest thing going on at the time. The music and media promoted it, made it seem fair, seeming and okay. Pop hits were coming out about pimping and prostitution. Jay Z, Big Pimpin', spinning G's. Nelly, Pimp Juice. Snoop Dogg suddenly became a pimp. he has been rich since he was 19 off gangster rap. Now suddenly he's coming out on stages with Bishop Don Juan and with girls all on chains. When did he have time to pimp is my question. So it was a media shift that helped promote and push what we were now being, um, being introduced into our minds. It was not just me and my crew that went into it. I say at least 70% of my peer group ran into the lifestyle. There was no force, fraud, or coercion in the sense that it's pushed now. The girls that I grew up with went in because this was their only option. The guys I grew up with went in because this was their only option. We did not know the detriment of pimping and prostitution yet. We had just brought back the 70s era and put it on steroids. Before us was crack cocaine, which detrimented our communities. And then it was gangbanging that detrimented our communities. We didn't know anything about pimping and prostitution that was new to us and introduced to us by HBO's Pimp Sub Hold Down that is still to this day the number one viewed documentary they've ever put out. That so is such when, an
1: interesting perspective, Armand. I've never heard this perspective before. This is so fascinating. And, and you, I'm just what telling you,
3: you what, what, this is what, this is what I lived. I didn't get this from no book. This is what I right, lived. Okay. right. And, and then across across the I, I' speak specifically for San Diego, but I know what my, what happened happened across America we were traveling it was going it was promoted MTV would exhibit with pit my ride Temp got pushed down our throats hard we thought it was okay our mothers never disagreed. out of eight of my best friends not one of our moms was against it and knew everything because they were just happy that their sons were not killing each other right or smoking or selling crack cocaine, which they had to live through. So for us to be pulling up in luxury automobiles and having fine clothes and being able to help them with rent now and do all this. I know moms that got in and ran escort services for their sons. So we don't even have our parents That because uh, uh, mo- none of my friends out of eight of us had a dad. So I'll just say we- none of us had our mom to even say, hey, mm. Armand, hey, Richard, hey, Lawrence, this is bad. Don't do this. You know, we didn't, you know, the but, um, so, yeah, my whole community went through this, and, it, and most of the girls that were in it, it wasn't this picture that's painted now. Um, and I, I should have started; I kind of just jumped into this. But you got, oh, let me stop. I know you have questions, and I'm already no, no, this no. This
1: is great. <laughs> that's my <laughs> this upbringing. <is> fabulous.
2: <laughs> you keep that's you keep upbringing. talking.
3: Okay, <laughs> so fast forward, you know. Well, how, I, how I was, did I've you? Been,
2: react. Huh. Go ahead. I was gonna. Ask, I, yeah, I, I was just gonna ask how you how did you move, um, you know, move into the start to move towards the the work that you're doing now, or um, yeah, I mean, what happened next? This is I I want to know. You know, I want to know what happened next.
3: <laughs> so fast forward. Um, I just say you know by by at 15 years old I was living on my own. My mom was dating another crystal meth head, um, and I told David all either he goes I go and guess who went Armand. So at 15 years old I'm out living with friends. And girlfriends, so I'm already got jump into. I got to take care of myself. I don't know no other way, you know. I've been working jobs to do that, but that's not paying the bills in San Diego. So by seventeen, uh, my soft, my junior year was I got my first apartment in eleventh grade, twelfth grade graduating, same, same apartment, another apartment because I got evicted, whatever. But anyway, no, uh, no, uh, so, uh, junior senior needs to be worried about their rent and as uh, their bills. Mm. That was me. And um, so quickly, you know, by 18 years old, where I was in my community, either you, when you graduated, this was a thing. You were dying or going to jail. You knew that. And you were lucky to avoid that for a little bit longer. We talked about this amongst each other. We knew that was the statistic and it was real. Um, Heavily targeted, heavily racially profiled, they're going to find a way for you to go to jail and start your probation, whatever, as light or as heavy as it is, to document you. I know this. So I found my escape. I said, let me go into the Air Force. Got in, went in the military, but my mind was not shifted. I couldn't just get away, which I thought would save me. I went into the military trying to pimp. I went in the military uh, still acting like a civilian and making moves with marijuana. And then fastly got out of the military when I realized where I was stationed at in Florida, I can actually make more money, way more money, if I brought marijuana back here, if I brought cannabis back here. And I did that. Made of a quarter, made a quarter of a million dollars within six months. My first six months of of, of maneuvering in uh, what now is legal, and I could have got a license for it and be a millionaire, <laughs> you know. But at that time, it was not legal, so I got I ended up doing that for a while. Had every car you could imagine, living in luxury for a while. Um, did that, got caught up, you know. Got caught up like everything when you do this type of stuff, you do end up getting caught up. And then I was arrested by the state at first. Did um signed off to probation, 21-year-old, but my mind was really a 15-year-old. I'm signed off on probation as long as I didn't have to go to jail. Then the feds come a month later and pick up the case and charge me with conspiracy and organized crime for 100 Mm -hmm. kilos of marijuana. 100 kilos that they added up in May really only caught me with 10 10 pounds. So now, first time ever in jail, first time ever in trouble with the law, should have got probation, but my 21-year-old ass went straight to the feds. So I do three years in the feds from, I've been in nine different institutions from San Diego to, to Florida and back. It took me eight months just to get, just to get to Florida, staying at institution after institution, which I now know and realize were building blocks for the work that I do. I needed that experience to deal with the population of people I deal with right now. I needed that understanding to know. So I, everything happened for a reason. Got out of Help. jail, still back Armand, forth, in the but But Excuse yes, me.
1: A how old were you at that point? You were 21.
3: I was 21 when, you, when I went in.
1: When you went in, okay, gotcha. And and you're still in Florida, and and you're in yep, the federal,
3: I, 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 federal No, no. Florida is where what? my case happened at. So Florida okay. extradited me from San Diego because I was shipping I was shipping my uh, marijuana or cannabis through the mail. That was oh, the okay. process.
1: That's that's why it was federal
3: charge. People, yeah. Because it was okay. more than two people involved, they could make it a conspiracy, and I had three, right. three two other code defendants. Okay, um, and then
1: your federal yes, time so. was in Florida as well?
3: My federal oh. time, I did in different locations, Bakersfield, and then the remainder of it I did in Oregon at a camp. Every every step of the way, your custody level, my points were dropping, so by the time I got sentenced, I wasn't getting any trouble. I had a force field around me the entire time I was in prison, and um like, I'm not the big buff fight, fight them guy, but I swear to God, my whole travels, it felt like a force field was around me and people always elevated me to a level of power that was beyond me. I didn't do that because I definitely didn't come in there starting crap with people. But that why, was God, Why do you that think that
1: happened? Re- why do you think that happened?
3: I know because the same reason it happens to this day. God, as I look back throughout my life, God has always had this shield of protection over me and has always exalted and elevated me to do, I don't even think I've even, I'm starting, but I'm not where I'm going. If I'm able to live longer, amazing things are coming. Amazing Mm -hmm. things are happening right now. I'm impacting just on different levels, impacting thousands monthly right here in my city. You know, currently we have a women's a survivors program from our organization. We have a member, thanks to the virtual world, there's a survivor in Romania in our class, Hawaii, New York, Texas. Sixty-six women in this program right now, thanks to the virtual world. There's people getting touched off of the birth something that came from my head. You know, I have a sixth-grade education. I graduated high school, but I have a sixth-grade education. This education system stopped teaching me, and I can't remember right now. I've done this for years. I cannot remember one thing a teacher taught me in school. That's a sad commentary. um, It it didn't come from there. I conned my way and graduated. That was nothing. My junior high school years, I got straight Fs and Ds every semester, didn't do a summer school, barely went to class, and they passed me every single semester. They didn't Hmm. want to teach me. They knew they had already... Crossed me out. He's going to prison. Mm-hmm. I did. So, yeah, this is um, everything I learned was through experience. And and now, you know, with that sixth grade education, helping to save lives. And, and this it, it, is just, uh, just the beginning.
1: So was there something significant you took away from prison that helps you today?
3: Absolutely. In prison, I was able to get in touch with myself more. Study every major religion possible, then can to finally be able to come to the conclusion that they're all saying the same thing with a little nuance here and there. It's man that messes it up for their own personal reasons. But every religion at the base and core of it is love your brother like you love yourself, do on to others as you want, then on to you. So they're all based off those same thing. But crazy human beings want to maneuver and change things for their own reasons. So I got to know that, now that made me more sound in, in why I'm confident that being spiritual is good. But whatever works for everybody, I'm in the good people religion. As long as you're a good person, guess what? I'm with you in whatever you got going on, because mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. is not the same. And whatever makes you a better person, so be it, I'm with. Um, I learned that two months before I came home from prison. The person that was taking care of me the entire time I was there Loving me when he couldn't come visit me. He would just park outside the window where he knew I was at until he started crying and left. My brother was murdered mm. two months before I came home oh and he was gosh. murdered by, he was murdered, murdered by four kids. They were on a shooting spree from San Diego to LA. They shot 12 people. They were 14, 15, 14, 15, 17, and 19 years old driving around. And one of their parents actually beat shooting people, killed another 16 year old the same day. They killed my brother Richard on the freeway. So that was another very impactful thing in my life that I still live with today. So yeah, there was a lot of different things that that I learned through that process. Even while I was in Florida, at uh, one point they had pulled me. I didn't. They pulled me and a few other people to do a scare straight thing with some kids in 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 a um, in a jail right. dorm. And Yeah. And everyone did the typical scare straight and yelling at them, and I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. That wouldn't work for me. So I just talked to him, and it really was impactful. who would have known later on in life that's a serious population I would be trying to help get off probation, jail and things like that? you know, yeah. so I didn't know at that time Wow, you know, it took a lot from took a lot from prison it took a lot, learned the system, learned how crooked it was, learned how uh profitable it was Been in private institutions, learned how many people were dying in the, in in a geo facility and tasked. uh in the, in the desert off a of disease from former testing, uh, nuclear testing and stuff that was done in that desert and people were dying and protesting. I got to learn, you know, mm. the wickedness of this system. You know, being on a, on a literally in Oregon on a plantation picking green beans reminded me of, of 500 years ago, 600 years ago in the South, right. you know, got to see that. So um, these are experiences that you cannot just take for granted and we're actual building blocks to so the work that's happening now that's changing lives. That's
1: I'm just speechless, Armand. You, uh, you're such a good spokesman. This is a really good day. Take, take a break, though. Let's let's take a short break, and we'll be right back.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com.
1: our guest, Armand King. Armand King as a gang and human sex trafficking consultant who has just such a rich experience of from his own life, and we're just, you know, processing through that life right now. So, Armand, you got out of prison, and then what What happened next?
3: Um, so I, I teeter-tottered um, in and out the gang for a minute, like trying to do good, or I would start a business, or I would do something positive positive, productive. Um, but I needed money, so I, I, you know, a lot of the people that go through similar lifestyles like me, like many of my friends, my brother that was just murdered, they were smart, very smart geniuses, good people, never monsters. But there was never anybody there to really guide them or show them that they were smart and show them how they could exercise those things they may have learned in the streets to a positive professional world. And I was that guy. I was, I was naturally a leader, naturally smart, creative, um, you know, I, I've been drawing and a good artist since I was a kid, like a little kid and never was that, um, you know, uh, people didn't ever hone in on that and help me and get me into art yeah. classes and things like that. So, um, you know, so it, it took a minute. And so I'm in and out, like, I'm going to do this. Only way I know how to make money is either pimping or selling something illegal or something illegal. So I would do that for a while to, and the idea was I'm going to take from here and I'm going to invest into the positive stuff and build this business now. And all these, as I'm getting older and thinking about these things, but I didn't know until later that that never works. Like I was a blessed and still a blessed gifted individual. And God was not going to bless me teeter tottering. It wasn't until I finally went, uh, I'm like, I said, forget this. I'm going to go a hundred percent in on the positive for the first time in my life. I think that's when I just left the game completely um, I was what? with a girl who, who brought, I, I had left and then a the girl had brought me back in. And then I was already like, I'm not doing this no more. And that girl that brought me back in, still a friend of mine to this day, she was on the end of her road too. Like this, she was over it. had become a horrible alcoholic, but she had so many things to offer me to bring me back in that I needed at that moment. She got me back in, car, How? house, How, How did she do that? How did she do that? She literally talked to me. she was in the game by herself. She was renegating and um, was working by herself, like a lot of girls do. And her and her best friend, who they were also friends of mine, they were I knew them both of their friends. And she was like her her baby's father was in jail for a while. She had his car. She had a house in a nice area, and she was already working, so she had money. So and not like she was she was attractive too. So this is she would probably just talked to me and was like. Basically, I don't remember the exact conversation, but she brought me back in, like, come here. This is this for you. Come on. So, um, you know, we did that for a while, and it got to a point, so it wasn't that long, maybe like three months into it, and um, and uh, we just, we, we just kind of fell out. You know, she wanted, she was on the end of her rope, and she was, um, like, she had done some things to make me mad at her. She had done some things trying to get me to hit her. I've never hit a woman in my life to this day. I've never even pinched a girl, so I'm um. So that was not in my my mode. I'm not a woman hitter, and she wanted me to hit her. Was calling me out of my name, doing things that another man may have slapped her or hit her, and I wouldn't get the, in my head. I just said we were out of town. I said you know what, because I had already been thinking these thoughts, and that was just the final draw for me, and where I had come to a realization, honestly. The same amount of attention and time that I'm investing into somebody else for, for this mystical money that might be there. That if mm-hmm. I gave that same energy and time to building me and myself, because I know I got the gifts, but I'm trying to have somebody else harness these gifts. No, if I did that, I would be successful. And that was my last day even attempting to be in the game. It was over with from there. And, so uh, what did yeah. you do then? So begin- where, did, where did you go from there? I, I, I linked up, you know, using my, I have a natural connection and draw to people and I bring people in. Start, I'm starting to realize my superhuman music powers that God gave me, right? <laughs> so this was like <laughs> the beginning of it. And, and then looking back, like there's been key individuals in my life that have always super pointed those out to me, including my brother right before he died. I'm talking to him on the jail phone and he says, Armand, I need you home. These other dudes do not think like you. I need you here. And it's just like little things that I can pinpoint throughout my life where I was being told that I had a greater work to do. Um, So yeah, when I got out, I went talked to one of my good friends. We started a restaurant because restaurants have always been my thing since a kid. I can do restaurants. We started a restaurant, and from there, just that literally, uh, we got a restaurant in a bad location. wasn't doing money. Got in a poor spot, but I also just connections was able to get the spot for dirt cheap. So we did it didn't work out, but at that time, the the beginning pieces of what the work I'm doing now started to happen in that restaurant. Had younger, younger homies that was there, you know, in the gangs that they're just me already coming in, working for free, you know, doing things just, I, just because I was the big homie, and um, mm-hmm. and I had them getting job skills, teaching them, giving them a little money here and there that they needed, and then one day, it came to my attention that, um, I told you I had a group of eight, my crew, growing up through high school. We were right. called the fantasy, you know, and so out of eight of those best friends, best friends meaning I would share my boxes with them and have before, you know, I have many associates, but out of eight of those best friends, only four of us are still alive today, you know, and I'm not old. So four of us are still alive. Now that four, one of them, my best of friends, he, he just, the game tore him up so much. He's just addicted to alcohol, like homeless. Um, this, this week I'm about to get him in his third rehab in the past, four weeks. This is first time in Mm. 10 years actually trying to get better. But so I'm out out of eight of my best friends. Four of us are still alive. Right. So, um, that click we started, I came to find out that there was a crew of youngsters that were still out there following our footsteps that learned and trained for us. These were the little kids in the neighborhood, the 10 year old and nine year old that your 15 and 16 year old self is not paying attention to, but in actuality you are reliving the cycle because those same kids don't have a dad. Those same kids don't have a, um, you know, are in those same troubled households like we grew up in. So mm-hmm. um, so I didn't realize that, and my friends didn't realize that, but when it was brought to my attention that they existed, literally I, one of my um, my family members told me, you know, the clique, it, it grew, it's still here. And I'm like, no, it's not, because we didn't recruit anybody. He, I told him, he said, yeah, it's a bunch of us. I said, what? Bring them to me. So one day about 30 individuals pulled up to my restaurant, ages, I would say, 17 to 23 came to my restaurant and filled it up and just had the ultimate attention for me, looking up to me, people I've never met before that the rest of the world would have classified as thugs and gang members. But they just needed direction and guidance, and I had already, unbeknownst to me, become a leader my bad doing. That night I went home and I brought up this thinking. If a 15-year-old kid, we were 15 when we created this collecting crew. That's still mm-hmm. existing almost 20 years later. And I started thinking, man, this is how the bloods and crisps started. It started from a little poor individual, one person's mind. It spread right. and created, you know, and even though it's not doing what it first started off as protecting these mm-hmm. from rare mm-hmm. attacks. And when crack came in, it, it deviated as, uh, you know, elders were taken to jail, addicted to drugs, and then they became what it is known as now. But literally, if you think about it, the Bloods and Crips are the biggest, largest black organization in the world. There's over um, uh, 2 million Crips across the world. But that one mm-hmm. thought started from somebody in the hood, mind. Right. So that is right. powerful. Even though it was deviated, that's power. So we came up with, if we could start uh, seeing the same thing happen again, and it can be recreated and duplicated. And for what you know, it's called reverse engineering, you know, the same things that, that people are addicted to that they reach for from the community that they need, they're there. But now if we use them for the good and not the negative, that's how we change the lives. We know it. So we didn't deviate or detach ourselves from the street life. We just changed the narrative. You know, the same things we're doing with these kids, um, now is what a uh, you know an older gang member who didn't know what to do with them would do towards the negative. We're just doing it in a positive way, right. making it cool, not corny. And the fact that we were we were me and my other two co-founders, we were leaders in the negative world. So make this the new cool and be those just mm. uh, use same leadership skills and teach people correctly in the right way. I've been so that's what that's
1: what far. then caught the media attention in San Diego, right? It was Absolutely. those efforts that there was the first article uh, that talked about you in in 2015. The chef uses past to pave great futures. Right. Was that the first article <laughs> that was written regarding your efforts, there? I,
3: I, I don't even know if that's the first article. There's been so many. <laughs> okay. Like I can't I can't even lie and I'm not look. I, I'm putting my ego in my back pocket and I'm. On it right now, right? But God's been so God's been so good to me. Like I don't even call on the media. Just in this past two months, I've probably been on the news a good four times. Not one of the times that I call them, you know, the newspaper articles, uh, interviews. It's regular, and so that's why I'm saying even as, if I'm blessed to be able to live any longer, I'm only imagining what can come and what help in the ripple effect that comes from my life and using it as example. Cause I do not live for me. You know, I, I die. I die when my brother died. I died when Richard Wilson died, when he was shot on that freeway. That was when I, I really realized it's physical, the importance of material stuff died. My life, I am a human tool, to push a message and to help. I will never speak on something that I do not know enough. And, and I'm quick to say, this is just my opinion. I'm one human being. I cannot disregard the next human being's opinion. That's all we have. I don't know aliens don't exist. I don't know that. I mean, you know, so who am I to tell this other person who really believes aliens exist? They don't. So what? That's what they want to believe. You know, are you being a good person while you're blessed to be here? I I was on the phone with a gentleman yesterday that I work with, and he told me he just found out this 2-year-old baby was diagnosed with cancer, liver cancer. Mm -hmm. What? Understand the severity and the seriousness of life. Material objects mean nothing. Your little opinion is just that. But, you know, but we cannot enforce our opinions, beliefs, and views on someone else, and because they choose to think something otherwise, they're wrong and you're right. How cocky are you? So, I just speak off of my experiences, my life, and what God has blessed me to see, and I'm not challenging nobody else's views, because somebody else's lived experience might be 100% different than mine. That was in the game, and that's theirs. So, I'm speaking on mine, and, and fortunately, my, my experience represents and resonates with thousands of people who live this life, you know, well so I Amon, I w- me. Let,
1: let me. Let me talk about you for a little bit, okay? <laughs> okay? Because now, today... Let's see. You got out of prison what year?
3: I what year believe was it that? was 2004. It
1: 2000 was 2004. Yeah. Okay. And it's and it's 2021. So since then, you, of course, have become a public speaker. That's a no-brainer. I can tell that. <laughs> You are the co-founder and program director of Paving Great Futures, which you provide f- financial literacy, job readiness, job training, entrepreneur training. You're a mentor in the community. You're a uh, uh, high-tech task force member for the Lawyers Club with working with San Diego's attorneys. You've done... Oh, my gosh. You've got so much, many things. You're a gang and human sex trafficking consultant. You've written this book, Raised in Pimp City, that Tay mentioned right out the gate, uh, The Uncut Truth About Domestic Human T- Sex Trafficking, which I will promote for you on Amazon. Uh, you, you have been featured in multiple news articles. You've received multiple awards that... Almost too many to fit on one page, by the way, and so um, I'm I'm just really uh, encouraged, Armand, that you are setting this example for young black men in this country, that you can mentor them and make a difference and guide them on a path that's different than the one they've learned through their young lives. So I'm I'm very impressed. Um, you, I mean, Thank there's you. so many things. The human trafficking conferences that you're a speaker at, you're a public speaker all over, looks like all over the world here. <laughs> you're involved with the University and of California we're just in San Diego. Started. Say what?
3: We're just getting started.
1: I can tell. I can tell. I mean, you haven't been doing this very long. and Look at the impact already that you've made. Um you're, you know, obviously a, uh, a speaker that people want to have. San Diego Youth Hip Hop Summit, the uh, University of California Psychiatry Residency Res- Resident Rounds. It's, those are really important. So, I I just applaud you. I applaud you for the work you're doing. So, uh, sorry for interrupting, but I just I needed to, <laughs> I needed to get that off my chest. <laughs> so,
2: I have a question.
3: Yes, ma'am.
2: I have a question. Um, well, I was wondering. I know we only have a little bit of time left, but um, how did you get um, connected with the Justice Department or doing legal consulting work? How did that happen?
3: Um, Once again, something I didn't go after in 2014, there were three major indictments in San Diego that were, um, in my opinion, strategically targeting um, and taking out large groups of black men. A lot of, uh, you know, maybe about out of the three cases, close to 200 um, people were taken off the streets with these group indictments in 2014. There's probably about 10 women that were involved there also. Um, one was from the, it was from the use of a, a law called the 1825 that's been on the dockets but never used since 2000, early 2000, but wasn't used until 14 by our, our former DA Bonnie Dumanis, who um, who charged 33 individuals um, with 1825, which means you can be charged for the gang but no particular uh-huh. crime, majority right. of the people on there had no idea of the crime they were even being charged for, and they randomly picked people that were um, had were from this same gang, Lincoln Park. Um, two of those individuals actually fought. It got inter- it got national news, CNN coverage. One of them was a rapper; they used his rap lyrics as his for his um, part of it because his rap lyrics were talking about his lifestyle growing up. And another one who was not even within. Um, Nevada doing getting a real estate license, they came and got him, you know, literally randomly picked 33 people. Most people sign plea agreements like they do because they might not have been all the way clean or had something else on them, but they got almost life sentences. Um, in the courtroom, the judge asked the prosecution, You mean I can speak and charge people who had no knowledge of that crime, were not involved in that crime, mm-hmm. and, um, and all the process the, the DA said, yes, we can. It's called such and such, and boom. So they did that. Two of them fought. One got out. Community rallied around them. They sued. Got a lot of money from this city. Two other indictments were both federal. One was the black Mom scandalous indictment, RICO, and one was the tycoon fantasy indictment. When the, when the, when the black Mom indictment went on, um, it was a group of individuals that I knew and grew up with, and were from the era I was from. So when it happened, I was I was shocked because I knew we were all older, and some many of them had had changed their lives. But I I didn't know them too intimately to know what they were doing. So I was like, "Damn, let that go." Didn't think too much of it. Then they came and got the Tycoon Fantasy, um, the crew from another area of San Diego. Those kids, I knew very closely. A lot of them were being mentored by me. Paving Great Futures had started in 2012. Many of them have been working with me already. I knew not only And these indictments were pimping, gang trafficking indictments. I knew these kids couldn't even get a girl to come to a barbecue, let alone pimp. I used to get mad at them like, we've got a barbecue full of dudes. Like, where are the girls at? So I'm just I'm saying it being funny, but I'm telling the truth. These kids, the, the most expensive thing they had from them that they took on this indictment was a pair of Jordans. This was, didn't seem like the pimp trafficking crew that was making money and all these things you're talking about. Not one of them owned a car. Not one of them had their own house. So I knew this, and that's what brought me in to, you know, shorten the story up. So I got brought in because now I'm going to the court and advocating for these kids and literally hearing, quote-unquote, experts lied, bold-faced lied in making up information that they had no idea what was going on. But there was no one there that could combat them. There was no one there that could say, they don't even have a gang color. Where did you create this color purple from? You know, Mm -hmm. matter of fact, I'm the creator of their gang. I know what they're doing. So, you know, so I I couldn't get up in Yale in a federal courtroom. You couldn't get up and say, detective, blah, blah, you're lying, you're wrong. So I had to eat that up. So I start meeting with their lawyers from there. Next thing we know I'm getting hired onto a case to be uh, to help consult with the black mob scandalous case with two of the individuals that took it to trial. Actually on his way to Supreme Court right now. They did their time and they're fighting it back because they were put in unjustly. A kid, one of them was thirty years old, they charged him with he got his role in the indictment with something he did at eighteen and already did time for it and brought him back in and gave him more time. Crooked stuff. So from there I just start pushing, people start hearing about me. Now, and I start testifying in court, both federal and state. Uh, PIs, private investigators start bringing me in just to consult with, get the knowledge. Now, now, I read discoveries and break down what's going on, what they're really saying, emojis, and things that average people, lawyers, even private investigators, aren't going to know. And so I keep up right. currently with the trends, what's going on, so I can help now fight these. Um, you know, I've only been hired by defense attorneys. Which, um, I'm happy with, as you know, uh, you know, that's cool with me. So they need to, the, they need this defense that can actually go and, and challenge the things that these detectives and so-called quote-unquote experts are saying in these courtrooms, you know. So I've been, uh-huh. I've been, I've done cases mm-hmm. in Texas and many in Sacramento, San Diego, Los Angeles, Orange County. Um, so that's how I got involved. Really, mm-hmm. I got brought in, but uh, with chaos.
1: So, Armand, you haven't done anything in Richmond and Oakland yet, California.
3: Um, I don't think so. I think during COVID hitting a whole bunch of cases. I don't even know what That's happened to the individuals. i working; they haven't contacted. But I believe I had a, a discovery, for the first consultation with a lawyer in Oakland. I read the case, and it was a case that was, you know, if the guy's guilty and there's some crazy stuff in there, and I got it. I'm, so what I tell them, there's no point even bringing me because when I get to stand, I and I have to tell the truth. They'll use that against your client. It's not going to be good, you know. So right. I'm reading this. I'm reading this discovery. So that man needs to sign a deal, <laughs> you know. Okay. So I think that was the um, the only Oakland um, uh, what's it called experience I had. Funny thing, you mentioned Oakland. we were actually working with the gang intervention prevention out there now in signing a um mou currently to do uh, financial literacy for reentry population up there in Alameda county um yeah so hmm. our reach is stretching out there now as an
0: organization
1: well you're going to find Armand, that uh this show has far reaching tentacles it, it is it is aired worldwide and so <laughs> you may be hearing more but uh i i actually would like to talk to you further off you know when we're not on the air, um, about some other things. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind letting me call you at some point, I'd really love to talk to you some more.
3: Uh, Absolutely. So,
1: okay. So, where do you want to take? Are you? Do you still have the restaurant?
3: No, restaurant's been closed. But from there, when we started our organization, we our first program, our flagship program, was a culinary entrepreneur training for a reentry population. So we just recently, January, acquired a new facility, five thousand square foot facility for our office spaces, classroom, and I have a, a three thousand square foot kitchen right now that we um, our participants that have been going through the program now can get some on the job training. Have a, a genius chef that's going to be working with them that's also from that um, you know from that background and understands them. So we teach them transferable skills, how to take things they learned in the streets and transport it into a positive world while they get mentorship. Services that they need in connection with, with good mentors, so that restaurant is now transformed into a, a a tool for the good to change lives. It's called, and we uh, have a pop up that we'll be doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, where the um, the people in the program can actually work, get real life experience, and earn some money while they're doing it. Perfect. So that's, that's where we're perfect.
1: So, okay, so we, we have a whole three minutes left. <laughs> uh, what would you like to leave our audience with today?
3: We are all a football team. There is no position less significant than the others. You may say it's the quarterback or the wide receiver, but what would they be without the water boy, without being hydrated? Don't think your position in this life, in this world, is less significant than another. There are coaches in the game that have never actually played the game but are experts at calling plays. There's an owner of the team that's just up there making sure the finances and the resources are there for the team. And then you have the people on the boots on the ground on the field taking the hits, wearing the cleats. They're all important. The fans in the stands for the moral support. The the cheerleaders you've got, there just keeping the morale up. Whatever your position is, if you're working towards the greater good of life and for humanity – own your position and love your life where are you happy at we need i can't type we need someone who loves and knows how to type find an organization find whatever it is wherever your piece is that you're happy with and content with and working this work and rock it and don't feel like you need to play every position god didn't give everybody the same talent same skills there's over two billion people in this world right now and not one of them has the same thumbprint and then there was billions before and so not one of them had the same thumbprint we're all unique individuals. Love your life, be happy, and realize that time is limited. You do not want to be 85 years old and regret. You did not, but you wanted a job. If you really love it, Monday is tragic. You hate getting there. Quit today. Stopping
1: all right, your, doing what you you Got it. Those are those are those are wise world words. Thank you so much. It's been a just a pleasure learning about your your programs. Thank you so much. And for Tay Wells and I, it's PIs Declassified Francie Kaler and thanks so much for listening.
0: You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler.